we welcome you to the REST podcast. The messages you will hear have been taken from sessions from past REST conferences. We pray that God will use this message to encourage and strengthen you in your walk with the Lord and your ministry for Him. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is on avoiding burnout. (laughs) Uh, And uh, it's already been kind of touched on, hit hit around a little bit. Look at uh, chapter 4, verse 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. By the way, welcome to the ministry. It is God's greatest call, but has some of the greatest liabilities. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. By the way, this is exactly where we're living right now. This the apostasy is progressive and it creeps and right before the Lord's return, it just becomes explosive and full-blown. And uh, we are living in a generation where, where you can't get the truth, not just on the media, but you can't even hardly get the truth out of the pulpit in many churches. People don't like the truth. <clears throat> and uh, But watch thou in all things, endure, the, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered in the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. You say, I can't be tough like Paul. Oh, yeah, we can, we can learn from him, and we can be tougher than we think. We'll talk about this subject, avoiding burnout. Father, help us as we look into this broad topic in a general way. And I pray you'll just give us some truth today, please, in Jesus' name, amen. How am you glad that you're a preacher of the gospel right now? We all know that it's becoming difficult, more difficult as time goes on. I was just thinking about the invitation and some of the questions are being asked a while ago. Everything's different. Uh, Finding deacons is different. It's harder. Uh, Invitations because of the coronavirus. We were shut down for two months like idiots. We shut down when they told us to, and, and we've been trying to make a comeback now ever since uh, March, April, May of last year, and it has killed invitations, and I really like what was said about that. Everything's different. But um, what we have in front of us really are the words of one of the greatest preachers in the New Testament. We just finished uh, last Sunday night a uh, a one-year study of the book of Acts, and we covered the revivals in the book of Acts. And I learned a lot about the great apostle here. In this section, he seeks to encourage young Timothy in the ministry, and that's what I like to do this morning. Through years of his dangerous yet successful ministry, you rarely see him with his feelings on his sleeve, but here we do. And uh, he's on the edge of his emotions to a certain extent, because his death is nearing at any day. Uh, the jailer could come down the corridor there, and he could hear the rings, the keys shaking on his key ring, that they could take him to the executioner's block. He knew his time was at hand. He actually states in verse 6 that he's ready to die. In verse 9, he longs for a visit from Timothy as soon as possible. In verse 10, he kind of starts rehearsing his life. So in verse 10, 
he seems hurt over the forsaken of Demas. And I would tell you that if you live long enough, if you've never had a close staff member or deacon or close friend walk away from you, um, if that's never happened, it will happen someday. And when Demas walked away, there's some place in Scripture where Demas and Luke uh, we're in the same verse, and so Demas was one of these guys. He just hung out with Paul. Luke was a physician and the writer of, of penman of the book of, of Acts, and so these are people very close. He said, he's gone. He's forsaken me, um, and then he longs, in verse 13, for his cloak and his parchments. In verse 14, he speaks of the evil that Alexander the coppersmith did, and again, I would say that if you've never had somebody just come at you like the wolf we were talking about just a while ago, it will happen someday. And don't long for it, but look for it and be vigilant in those things. And so he states in verse 16 that there was a time that no man stood with him. Look at verse 16. He says, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. That was probably in one of his hearings he had. His hearings before Nero were not successful and there was a time that he was uh, he had his freedom in a hired house and was able to win souls and all that. But as Nero tightened his grip on the Christians there, uh, the grip tightened around the apostle, and he finally ended up in the maritime prison there, and that's where most believe uh, his last days were spent. So he says here that there was a time that no man stood with me. He said, it, this was inspired, he said, but all men forsook me. <laughs> I don't know how you listen to preaching, but I was listening to Brother Polly a while ago, and he made this statement. I wrote it down. I'm going to use it. I'm not going to give him credit for it because it was way too good. <laughs> I will. His daddy said, I think he said, he was so lonely that even a gnat wouldn't light on him. Did you all catch that one? I wrote that one down. You say, I don't know that I can relate to that. I can relate to that. It's almost like people look at you like you've got some kind of disease. You know, and Paul felt that way. In verse 21, he seems to beg Timothy again to come before winter. So I'm not saying that Paul was suffering from burnout necessarily in ministry, but I am saying that here at the end of his life, his emotions were very tender. It happens to the best of us. Sometimes you just sit and you think, no one understands. No one would believe it if I told them. And uh, it's about to drive me crazy. And there will be times like that in your life, and those are usually times when people will burn out or give up. I know people in the ministry that state that they have been burned out, and I understand what that means. You understand what that means, and maybe you're on the edge of that yourself. Afflictions come. Uh, I may mention this tonight, but I, I carry and have for many years since I began my ministry rheumatoid arthritis, and so it's something I battle. I may mention that tonight. I don't know. Attacks from Satan will push a man and his wife to give up. And I mention that because we're studying the book of Job in Sunday school. And one reason why Job's wife survived the first onslaught of Satan is because they were one flesh, I believe. And God said to Satan, you can't touch his life um, when he lifted the hedge. And I think that included his wife. And so as we enter into the ministry, most of us need to understand that our wives most likely was not called like you were called and they're tagging along. I can tell you my wife wasn't because I was working uh, for Appalachian Power Company when God called me. My background would be similar to Brother Polly's background. And so uh, she became a pastor's wife, 
uh, in the middle of all that. And I can tell you that uh, because of your wife's makeup as a woman, she will handle the difficult ministries ministry much different than you because she's made up more emotional. When you want to fight, she's crying and uh, struggling. And so uh, these are things, our 24-7 schedule, it's enormous, and the demands and expectations, the disappointments that come along. I understand what we say when we mean burnt out. But if we were honest, we could also include some self-afflicting things like arrogance, um, affluence. Sometimes preachers just get so wealthy, they miss completely miss the ministry. They lose their heart for the ministry. The Bible teaches that uh, we're supposed to be careful about entangling ourselves with the world. I've had many business opportunities as a pastor that I could do whenever we didn't have any money. Uh, I can remember back in West Virginia eating Kraft Singles on a, two pieces of white bread. If you had mayonnaise, it's probably from a packet that you got from Long John Silver's or something somewhere. And you take that plastic wrapper off that Kraft Single, and that was your lunch, period, that and water. And so I remember those days, and, you know, you had it's days like that that opportunities come along that, you know, where you can make a little money on the side. I'm not opposed to that if you do that. There are bivocational preachers, and I probably should have been one when I was early in my ministry, but I will tell you that God didn't lead me that way. He leads some people that way. He didn't lead me. <clears throat> and I can tell you that you get to the place where you'll take yourself out of the ministry if you're not careful. But let me just make a statement here, and I want to validate it if I could, and I'm going to get into the points here. But first of all, I do not believe that we serve the kind of God that intentionally abuses his servants. Let me say that again. I do not believe that we serve the kind of God that intentionally abuses his servants. Our God's a good God. I want to challenge you, if you've not done so lately, to go read the first three chapters of the book of Job. And in that book, you're going to find that when Satan comes after a man or Satan comes after a family, he's got to clear that through God. And God lifts the hedge and Satan goes in. If you're enduring some difficulty and trouble because God's lifted the hedge, you ought to jump up and down and shout glory hallelujah because God's on your team. He thinks you're special. In fact, Job was the greatest person God had on earth at that time. That's what the Bible says. He said there's none like him in all the world. Write this verse down to validate what I just said. In James chapter 1, verse 13, the Bible says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with the evil, neither tempteth he any man. God gets indicted so often for things that he doesn't come up with. Now, God chastens people, and I understand there's different things that God does. He's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants to. But, but many times, whenever we get up against a tough place in the ministry and we want to quit, we blame God for it and don't do that. I don't believe he abuses his servants. I want to give you a little exercise, if I could, this morning, just a little exercise that I go through. I don't want you to think, well, I bet Brother Norris never wants to quit. <laughs> uh, um, Sunday, maybe, <laughs> you know? Um, and I want to kind of give you a little exercise I'll run my brain through. Would you write this first thing down? First of all, remember the fire. Remember the fire. Verse number one, verses one and two, that uh, fire is building you. Paul is looking at young Timothy, and he is saying, um, preach the word. Preach the word. 
man, whenever God called me, there was nothing. I, I didn't even know how to do that, but I knew I wanted to do it. I felt like there was something in my bosom, something I wanted to say. It's something that the fire was, was way down in my soul, and, and you just had to get it out. And um, I was young and foolish and all those things, but I have a couple of things I want you to jot down under this. First of all, when you're talking about remembering the fire, I'm talking about remember the desire. That is a specific biblical word regarding your call. First Timothy chapter 3, the Bible says, If a man desire the office of, office of a bishop, he desireth the good work. That desire, if you chase that down, is a burning fire down inside of you. You get to the place where you live it, drink it, sleep it 24-7, and you can't get away from it. I've got a book in my office entitled, Dear Preacher, Please Quit. I read it one time. You know, I was looking for the call of God. I was looking for something really, really flamboyant to happen, but it never happened. And I thought, a man told me, if you could ever be talked out of the ministry, then you probably weren't in the ministry. Now, whether that's a true statement or not a true statement, I don't know, but I, I tried to talk myself out of it. I got this dumb book. I don't recommend you read it, so don't go get it. But uh, I thought, well, maybe this guy will talk me out of it. He didn't talk me out of it. <laughs> and so, uh, and then I found out through the Word of God that the call to preach is this desire. It's, you know, this is something you can't talk to your congregation about. They don't understand that. This, they would think you're trying to be arrogant about it. But there's something that God puts in a man of God that you know it's there, no matter if anyone else understands, and you can't get away from it. So whenever I am tempted to burn out or quit or give up or just go ahead and get my double-barrel Stoker shotgun, just start shooting. Anyway, wind is out. But, but uh, you just go up crazy on them. By the way, no, I'm not going to say that. I better keep it. Remember the desire, that fire. Secondly, remember the call of God. Uh, how you uh, how you felt impressed to do something? I can I can I can put words this in this crowd that I may not be able to do with with a congregation, which is something that's sweet about these, these, this this type of conference. But I can remember sitting back there as a as a layman in the church, listening to my preacher preach, and he was a good preacher, a godly man. But I remember I remember sitting back there saying, "We well, should have said this. I wish you'd have said that." Well, if I was, and I was not. I was undermining him because I was his biggest hero. I mean, he was my, I, I, I just did everything I could to help him and encourage him. He wasn't saying anything wrong, but I was saying, I'm going to write this down. This is what I, this, none of you ever experienced that, did you? But it's just, it's just God getting you ready. Then I wrote this thing down. I want to remember the charge. Remember the charge that you're given to your ordination service. You're probably ordained by man. God ordained you in the call, but man saw the hand of God on you. He ordained you. But I remember, I'm going to give this to you real quick. I'm watching my time. I remember my ordination service was two hours long. My pastor from bygone days came to that. He sat there, and he never said a word the whole time as these guys grilled me. They grilled me. And uh, at the very end, he looked at me. He said, uh, Brother Norris, are you going to preach, uh, continue to preach if these men don't ordain you? And I said, <laughs> I said, well, I sure would like to. He said, then here's what I would do. And he stood to his feet. He is about 80 years old. Had a, his bald head, but it's almost like he buffed it. He shined it. And he looked at me. He said, then preach the word. Be in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering." 
And uh, he, he said that, and he sat down. I thought, glory to God. I'll never forget that day. Remember the charge. And then lastly, remember the enabling that God gave you to preach the word. The enabling. Um, unction, that word that's hard to explain. That when the big wheel gets mixed up with the little wheel, and you're saying, where in the world did this come from? When you stray from your notes, and the Holy Spirit of God just gets, gets uh, all wrapped up in you. And you may be going through a dry period that that's not happening right now. But you remember the times that it did happen. And you be faithful to your call. That fire right there, second thing down, remember the fight. The fight that God put in you. The call to arms. He talks about the fact that he'd finished the fight. But you know, verse 1 and 2 is pretty positive, And verses 3 and the rest through 8 are pretty negative. He said, uh, do it now, preach the word, and in the message will be a little negative, reprove, rebuke, and so forth. For the time will come when not, they'll not endure sound doctrine. The time will come they won't listen to you. The fighting spirit that God placed in your bosom to take your stand, the word be instant means to continue or stand in spite of opposition. And we're there now for all the good days that you had. Uh, thank God for them. Remember how God trained you to use the word to reprove and rebuke and exhort and encourage and run alongside with all long-suffering and doctrine. Number three, I'm zipping through this. I'll slow down just a minute. Number three, remember the future. You're, you're, we're kind of living in those latter days. I'm older, but even, even if you're not as old as I am, you're living in the latter days of preaching. Things are changing. The invitations are changing. The way people respond or don't respond to truth is changing. Um, your, your crowd that comes in is changing. Uh, we've got people moving from California, from New Jersey, uh, from Oregon and Washington, and they're looking at you like, where's your turtleneck? You know? Uh well, that ain't going to happen, I'll tell you that. But uh, so, so everything's changing. We need to just be reminded that God said it would be like this. And I'll just say this, then in the negative part of this particular section, almost every preacher in the Bible tells his story of loneliness and sorrow and defeat. you got Elijah and Moses and, and David. And, and one time David went nuts. You all read, remember that passage where he he, he, he grapples at the gates there of the city and spill ran from his face. <laughs> his, oh, anyway, he, I'm not there yet. I'm almost there, but I'm not there yet. And, and even the apostle, Paul, John on the Isle of Patmos. Here the preacher is, is told, this young Timothy is told, that there would come a day when no one would listen to the message. That's very disheartening news. But listen, I'm going to say this. That's not your fault. The times are changing. You, you, there's nothing you can do about that. The politics we feed our brains on, the pandemic that we've all got opinions about, all, all that stuff, none of that's your fault. We're called upon to preach our way through that, and you didn't have any of this in Bible college, so just forget that. And so I'm just saying we've got to find a way. By the way, I should say that if you are experiencing a successful growing ministry, rejoice and enjoy the ride. But don't jump off the bridge whenever it does a nosedive. I was, uh, whoever talked about last night about Brother Hooks, I think, talked about preaching to the camera. 
I did have about four guys in there. I didn't know it took four guys to run a camera, but oh, they're all about it. You know, I did have a little congregation, but that was just as weird as it could be. I mean, to shout, ah! you know, no one be in there. That was fake, wasn't it? <laughs> fake news, fake preaching. <laughs> there came a time. <laughs> there came a time in the life of Christ when multitudes sought sought after him to hear him, but then there came a time when all men forsook him. And so we got to find a endure work, find a way to endure, work through that, endure, endure the cold services. If you ever have trouble in your church and you got to walk out of that pulpit for the first time after some major explosion in your church, it's sickening. But you be faithful. You be faithful. I think one thing that takes a lot of preachers out is affliction, just sickness. When I was in West Virginia, I had Blue Cross Blue Shield insurance, and uh, I was very, very sick. And they canceled the entire group. I didn't think they could cancel your insurance for being sick, but they, they canceled the entire group. I got a letter from Blue Cross Blue Shield that said this. It said the, the, the uh, ministers in your group are notoriously sick. <laughs> I've got that somewhere. They are. I got to thinking... I mean, if, if I, I knew just about all of them in my group. If the preacher wasn't sick, the wife was sick. If the wife wasn't sick, the kids were sick. Help me understand that Satan comes after us like that some way. And it's very discouraging. The average pastor in his family is doctoring someone in his family almost all the time. And the care of all of that. And then, uh, by the way, uh, none of this took the Lord by surprise when folks walked away. And uh, he knew from the beginning that uh, all men were not for him. And I want to say this to you. You want all men to be for you. I'm a sanguine individual. I'm a people person. I just, I like to be liked. I'm not like some of you guys. It's the drill sergeant. You know, I'm not. It's hard for me to give orders. But people like me like to be liked. And whenever they think they're not liked, then all of a sudden their spirit just falls. And then I got to be happy, happy, happy in front of everybody, you know? And so uh, I want to give you this bit of bad news again. Everybody don't like you either. And uh, that's just the way it is. And especially now, everybody's got opinions. They're like armpits. Everybody has two of them. They both stink. And so I'm just telling you, social media, everybody's got an opinion. They can post it. So anyway, I'm just saying... Remember the future as you get in the ministry and you're moving forward. The future is bright when we get to glory, but the future of the ministry, this is God's call in your life, and it has a lot of liability with it. You're a soldier. I have men in my church that are soldiers. They carry those, those automatic weapons off their chest. They got the body armor. They got the night vision. I see pictures of them. I got, this, I got a ranger that sits right on the front seat right here. He's my bouncer, which, by the way, I needed him Sunday night. We had a warlock come into our services, all black, had a black, black pointed hat and all that, you know. He, and he just, when, he, when he's sitting there and something's not right, he's looking at me like this. So I knew something wasn't right, so I looked around. I found that cat. After it was over, he came right to me, boom, right to me. And he's standing there, and I thought, okay, this is something's up. He said, preacher, I want to let you know. He said, I frisked that guy when he came in. I said, you frisked him? <laughs> he said, in Christian love. 
I said, what do you hear? He said, hey, it's good to see you, brother. How you doing? He patted him down. He, he showed me how you, anyway, I don't know where that came from. It's just the ministry. And you didn't know this going in. I didn't know this going in. I thought everybody was going to holler, amen, and swing the rafters and run the aisles. It's going to be just great. And then it wasn't a month before I realized, this is the pits, but you're called to do it. Remember the finish, verses 6 through 8. He viewed death as, uh, verse 6, as a departure, departing to a better place. He uh, wanted to fight to the end. He wanted to finish strong. He wanted to keep the faith. He wanted to stay on course. And so this little exercise I run my brain through whenever I, I want to quit, I want to give up, I want to say it's just not worth it. Which, by the way, I had three major opportunities during the course of my ministry where I could have went back into the business world and walked away. And Satan always gives you those chances right when you're at your lowest but I want to finish my course. God has a course planned out for me. And um, he wanted to keep the faith. By that, keeping the faith doesn't mean he wanted to remain saved or not saved because that's not in the Bible. He's talking about, I want to die believing the same things that I believed when I started. We see that waning today. He wanted to meet Jesus with a clear record. Look for his appearing. He said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's later for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord, the righteous judge. Watch this now. Shall give me at that day. You see, he believed. Now, watch this now. The apostle had a chance to see, kind of, sort of, until he was blinded, Christ on the road to Damascus, which was his validation to apostleship because in order to be an apostle, you had to be able to see the Son of God, which excludes Benny Hinn and some other people. So the apostle got to do that on the road to Damascus. So he was very familiar. And by the way, he's caught up into the third heaven. He was very familiar with the Lord Jesus Christ, but he said, there's going to come a day when I'm going to see him face to face. And when I work through this exercise in my brain, I'm reminded that I've got to finish my course, no matter how I feel, no matter how wretched it is, I've got to see Jesus face to face. And I'm not going to be a castaway. I'm not going to be shipwrecked. I'm not going to be put on a shelf. I want to continue what God started in my life. And I'm going to say this, as a man of God, your wives may not be able to work through this exercise like you. But as a man of God, you've got to toughen up and get a backbone like a saw log and just say, I'm just not going to quit. I know people want me to quit. I know the devil wants me to quit. I know probably, I, I probably as far as humanly speaking, I ain't worth shooting. I probably should quit. Just don't quit. Because God called you. you. You can talk yourself out of the ministry quicker. You can say Jack Robertson. I just tell you, don't do it. Just don't do it. I shouldn't talk like that. People I preach like that. These people from California don't have a clue what I'm saying. <laughs> well, one guy walks up and he said, what do you mean by Jack Robertson? I said, I don't know. Now, I got just a few minutes. They gave me an extra five. So let me, let me give you something right here, okay? I want to give you just some practical suggestions about this matter of, of bur avoiding burnout. First of all, um, write this down, old preachers. Write that down, old preachers. I'll give you the outline, then I'll, I'll, uh, I'll uh, give you the substance. Personal life, secondly. And thirdly, be a plotter. Be a plotter. 
Now I'm going to be like Scott Polly. Old preachers, old preachers, if you do not already have somebody to coach you or mentor you or whatever you want to call it, get somebody and don't throw the old preachers out to pasture, okay? Don't do that. I've got mine, and I, I guess I'm online. I'll name him Brother Bobby Robertson. When I was in West Virginia, he helped me so much. I called Brother Bobby, and he said, Oh, Mike, just go on, just go on, son. I called Don Sis. He goes, I take a baby aspirin and sleep it off. I, 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 I. <laughs> I still call him. I like to have a dollar bill for every time Brother Bobby said, oh, just go on, Mike, just go on. And that man had nervous breakdowns. He had heart attacks. He had church splits. Oh, just go on, Mike, just go on. Take a baby aspirin and sleep it off. Then Dr. Keene is another one. Now, Dr. Keene would get spiritually. He says, just the devil. New devils, new levels. New levels, new devils, what he says. New levels, you're just, you're just doing too much for God, and the devil's, that's, that's where he goes. Uh, by the way, I need that, because when I, when I call these guys, I'm ready to jump off a bridge. Take a baby aspirin. I, 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 he always laughs about it. But you know what? Every single time they've been right. You call somebody, and I, I'm not opposed to counseling with people that's in your, uh, your age bracket, but you'll analyze it and all those things, and all that's great. But somewhere you need somebody to say, don't do it. Don't, don't, don't quit. Don't quit. Okay? Secondly, in the area of your personal life, it's already been touched on some, but I want to tell you something I didn't do. Because if I could say this, when I got in the ministry, we were taught you don't take a day off, you get out of Social Security, which, by the way, I didn't because I was sick. The only reason why I didn't get out of Social Security was because I was sick with arthritis, and I felt like I needed to stay in case I got crippled and had to have Medicare. That's the only reason I stayed on it. So you didn't trust God. <laughs> I didn't trust God. I'd... Anyway, so I just didn't. That's going to be dry in 30, uh, 2034, so it doesn't matter anyway. But anyhow, so... Uh, so your personal life, and by that I'm talking about, and he touched on time management, different things. We don't ask a whole other conference for that. But you've got to take care of your temple, your body. Y'all remember Robert McShane, that guy, you can't pronounce his last name, but he's, before he died, he said, that God gave me a Bible, gave me a horse. He said, what, what do you say, Scott? I know you know that thing. Oh, come on. I've killed my horse, and what do you say? I've killed the horse. <laughs> yeah, take care of your body. Thank you, Jake. That's good old West Virginia knowledge there. And, uh, and I will tell you that I destroy my body with that type of thinking. I, I'll just, I'll just be honest with you. You, you. you guys need to find a way to exercise, help your wife through all this stuff, just try to, to, to do the right thing. I, I have spent my life trying to turn my health around, and uh, I don't want you to do that. I want you to find a way to, to get on top of it because Satan's going to come after you. Everything's against you. He's going to come after your health. And I want to challenge you in that. The area of your personal life, uh, your, take care of your temple, take care of your marriage. Uh, we did do that, my wife and I. I tell you, I married my childhood sweetheart, and we have rode through life 
But boy, I see, watch many, many preachers. They don't take care of their marriages. You've got to do that, get time away, and then take care of your family. We just had one son, one child. We spoiled him rotten, and uh, but he turned out really good. He's serving the Lord alongside of us right now, and I'm thankful. But here's the blessing of take care of your, your family. We've got three grandkids. And just when you're getting ready to jump off the bridge of life and say, hang it, God gives you a grandchild. And then another one. And they're all... They're all such a blessing, and I cannot wait to get back home and see my grandkids and, and um, wrap yourself up in your family. You lose your family, you lose your ministry, and I just want to see. And then lastly, I guess this is the last thing I'll give you, and I think I'll be right on time, that is just be a plotter. And that's an old mountain term, be a plotter. I came from a long line of working men that were plotters. I mean that physically, and I mean that spiritually. My grandpa Turner had rheumatoid arthritis, but he farmed. He was a carpenter. My grandpa Turner, this is how he'd walk. He'd walk through the woods, or he'd go out to the barn. He'd walk like that. And the guy, the guy, he hurt every morning of his life. But my grandpa never, he turned around and told him one time, he said, Mike, don't ever stop. If you ever hurt, don't ever stop. Don't ever sit down. They told me that at Duke University when I went down there for treatment. Don't ever sit down. Don't ever stop. And my grandpa taught me how to plod. My dad taught me how to plod. My dad was just a, he was an employee for Kaiser Aluminum. He was a carpenter for them. He built houses. And my, my dad get up 5 o'clock every morning, go to bed 10 o'clock every night. My dad did the same thing day in and day out and day in and day out and day in and day out. I watched Brother Bobby Robertson be a plotter, a plotter. As he got older and his shoulders began to stoop, and he just, he just walked back up there and he'd just get right in the same. You, you, you go see him, and he said, come on, Mike, get in here. I said, where are you going? He said, I'm going, I got me a three-by-five card Molly gave me. We're going to go make some hospital visits. I'm going to go over and see. And he, and, and he just did the same thing day in and day out and day in. And there's something good about routine. And I'm going to tell you one reason, one of, the, one of the many reasons, not the main reasons, that I've never quit at this point in the ministry, and that's this. I wasn't made that way. Everybody's not like that. We're living in the generation of the snowflake where they melt at the first sign of opposition. I just wasn't made that way. I will plod until you back me into a corner. And when you back me into a corner, I have to fight, then I'll fight. But I don't want to get in that corner. I want to just keep on going, keep on going, keep on going, keep on going. Thank you for listening. We hope that the Lord has used this message to speak to you. The REST Conference is a meeting designed to encourage and strengthen pastors, missionaries, evangelists, and their wives, along with other Christian workers serving the Lord in their local churches. REST 2022 is scheduled for September 5th through the 7th at the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. We hope that you and your spouse will make plans to be with us. For more information on REST, please visit our website, therestconference.com.